0: As we walk through life raising our kids, many questions will be asked. We'll ask questions of our kids, and our kids will ask questions of us. And though many parents get intimidated when our kids start asking us the tough questions, and in this case I'm talking about the tough questions about God, a deeper question still remains. How are we preparing ourselves and our kids to better hear the questions God might have for us? Well, stay tuned. We'll talk about that today on License to Parent. Well, thanks so much for spending yet another half hour with us here on License to Parent. This program is the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long residential program for teens in crisis located just north of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Rich Rosl, and our host is the founder and the executive director of Shepherd's Hill, Trey Sembri. And, Trace, as often as we ask God questions, we don't often consider the fact that God may be asking us some questions occasionally as well, do we? Mm-hmm. Well, Rich, that may be
1: because we we figure he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and, you know, really has no need to ask us questions. Right. But, uh, you know, I think our guest today will help uh, straighten us out on all that. We're going to hope so.
0: <laughs> Let me introduce today's guest. His name is Israel Wayne, and uh, Israel is an author and a conference speaker. He's got a passion for defending the Christian faith and promoting a biblical worldview, which listeners to this program should find very familiar because that's what we do as well. Now, when he talks, I've got to tell you what he says just makes good sense. He's the author of the books Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview, Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship, and his most recent book, which we'll be discussing today, The Questions God Asks. Since 1995, Israel has been speaking nationally on family, homeschooling, revival, discipleship, and cultural issues. And since this is a parenting program, we like to let you know what sorts of families our guests have, and today is no different. Israel and his wife, Brooke, have been married since 1999. Both of them are homeschool graduates and uh, they are now homeschooling, home-educating their eight young children. Number eight, by the way, just arrived a few mm-hmm. months ago. So uh, we think Israel has some personal experience to go along with the myriad amounts of research that he's been doing on the subject of parenting. Israel, thanks for being on the program
1: with us today again, brother. It's a pleasure to have you back.
2: Uh, it is always a blessing to be uh, on your show, and I so appreciate what you guys do.
1: Well, Likewise, brother. Your book is called Questions God Asks. Uh, When most people are asking questions about God or of God, what inspired you to put together a work like this?
2: One of the things that I've noticed, I'm sure most of our listeners have as well, is that whenever there's some kind of a national crisis or emergency, like a tsunami or an earthquake or a flood or something like that, and there's devastation and catastrophe, people turn their focus towards questions about God. If God is good, why does He allow bad things to happen to good people? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is there all this evil and suffering in the world? Uh, you know, if if God is, is all-powerful and He can stop injustice in the world, why doesn't He? You know, a lot of those kinds of questions. And so people have these questions that they ask God. But one of the things that struck me uh, when I was studying through the Old Testament over a span of maybe six or seven years, just in my own personal uh, Bible study time, I began to notice that there was a host of questions in the Old Testament that God directed to individuals. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned uh, earlier in the intro, one of the things that we know to be true about God is that He knows everything. Mm -hmm. One of the doctrines of God is His omniscience. And so why would an omniscient God who knows the answer to every conceivable question ask a question of an individual, and there's a lot of questions that he asks. I mean, he asks Moses, what's in your hand? And he asks Elijah in the cave, what are you doing here? And he asks Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And he asks uh, Abraham, where is your wife? And all these different questions. And Mm -hmm. it just struck me as odd, because I don't think God ever does anything arbitrarily or capriciously without reason, so... Why is he asking these questions? It certainly isn't for his benefit. It's not for his information. So there must be something that he wants the people being questioned to stop and think about and consider. It's obviously there for their benefit. But then because it's recorded in Scripture, it must be there for our benefit as well. There must be an application for us in this question. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Our our kids can be pretty sharp. How do we reconcile uh, in their minds an omnipotent God— the God who asks questions?
2: Well, one of the things that I often do as a parent is I ask my children questions sometimes that I already know the answer to, but I ask the question for them to wrestle and struggle with this issue. I want them to engage the issue uh, emotionally and mentally and to to fight through it and Mm -hmm. to come up with an answer uh, based on their own struggle, if that makes sense, as opposed to me just telling them what to think or Mm -hmm. telling them what to believe. I think there's a real healthy aspect to that, and I think that's really what God does in many ways with these questions. He's trying to get us to open up within ourselves about our own assumptions, our biases, our presuppositions, etc. And I think that God, as our Heavenly Father, sets a model for us of asking questions because He wants us to engage in that struggle. Whenever you wrestle through an issue and you come to a conviction about it, you really own it at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas if somebody just tells you, here's what to think, here's what to believe, um, you you don't engage that kind of an issue at the same level. It's not something you take ownership over. Sure.
1: What might be some questions that that God may ask a 21st century parent?
2: Well, you know, I I think um, in the 21st century – We have a lot of distractions. You know, there's so many things that vie for our attention. There's so many questions that uh, face us just in terms of the struggles of this contemporary life. Um, But I think, you know, some of the questions that God uh, asks us, of course, are uh, questions about... For example, um, one of the questions I included in the book was the question that God asked Adam, where he said, uh, who told you? You know, in other words, who told you that you were naked? And what's interesting about that is prior to man's rebellion, the only influence, the only source of truth, the only source of information that mankind had was God himself. And after his rebellion, he basically chose to listen to another source of information, an alternative truth claim, if you will. And I think that that's something God asks all of us is, what are what st- information stream are we plugged into? Are we plugged into the information stream of, of modern pop psychology mm-hmm. and you know secular uh, television and and uh, magazines and and books and all of that? I mean, is that who's informing us as a humanistic worldview? Yeah. Or are we being informed by the truth of God?
1: Well, I think it's interesting that uh, the the tree they ate ate from was the the tree of knowledge. You know, a a, a knowledge that uh, was a, uh, you know, a cog off, perhaps. Uh, A lot of truth to it, but just being a cog off can really mess you up down the line. Uh, We were talking on the... And and
2: interestingly about that, too, is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, is kind of ironic because Adam already had a knowledge of good. He Mm -hmm. had intimate fellowship with the Creator God. Right. The only thing that he didn't have was an intimate acquaintance with evil. And yeah, that was the point. only net gain yeah. from that eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that now he had an experiential encounter with evil, sure. and somehow he felt that that would provide enlightenment. And it, it simply didn't for him, and it does, certainly doesn't for us as well.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I'd call that a net gain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about one thing, though, because you raise a good point, and that was when God is our only source for knowledge— um, you know, that, that's the place to go, that's the place to be, and God, you know, said, who told you this? So he actually questioned, what was your source for this? Why did you do that? Nowadays, though, we are a long way past the fall, and there are a lot of sources coming at us. How do we know... With with the new questions God might be asking us, that it's really God. I sometimes feel like I've got a lot of voices in my head. How how does the twenty first century parent discern that this is actually God challenging me and asking me these questions?
2: Yes. Well, I, I'm going to say this. Um, this is going to sound like an old fashioned answer, uh, but old fashioned's not outdated. If, if, <laughs> if, if oh. someone's told me if something is new, it probably isn't true. But yep. the only objective plumb line that we have truth, the only true north, if you will, is the Word of God. And anything that contradicts the Word of God is simply false. I just heard a lady this week say, God told me that it was time for me to close this chapter of my marriage and move on to a different relationship with somebody else. Mm. That was not God. Mm. And so the scripture, the written Word of God, is the only objective plumb line that can be depended on. It's the only plumb line that ever has existed for us. It's the only plumb line that ever will exist. And anything that contradicts that, we know for certain, is not from the spirit of God.
1: And how do we get this across to our kids? Uh, that that Scripture really is that that standard of truth. Because you know, now with the internet, this almost infinite knowledge, our our new knowledge of a tree of knowledge of good and evil and it's interesting we talked about this before the the Apple uh, computer uh, emblem with the bite out of it of all things it's almost as if it's it's God giving us this little emblem that uh, you know what if you want if, if that if that's going to be your God and a lot of people do make it their God well then so be it but there's still this standard this old-fashioned as you said standard uh, that isn't outdated how do, how do we get our kids to to, to buy into that when They've got an entire world uh, teaching them something that's uh, opposite of what we're trying to teach them.
2: I just had a conversation yesterday with my 13-year-old son about this, and we were talking about standard for truth. And I said to him, here's the thing, if you want to talk about ethics, if you want to think about right and wrong, for example, you only have two options. Number one, God is, and he is the standard by which we determine everything that is right and wrong, that which is consistent with his nature and character. Or two, you know, B, you have the view that God does not exist and that we came about from matter and energy that exploded for no reason. And I said, the thing is, you will never be able to get ethics out of gases that exploded. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take two different types of soda pop and you mix them together and they fizz, you're never going to get a right or wrong out of that. It's just a chemical compound, a chemical reaction. There's no such thing as ethics. Uh, coming out of material matter, you really? know, out of uh, there's no such thing as ethics coming out of matter or energy, yeah. and so essentially the only way that you can have any kind of objective ethics in the universe is if there is a divine creator uh, for whom we're all accountable. Otherwise, everything is subjective, and frankly, anything goes.
1: And postmodernism and, works. And that certainly
2: isn't. Su- yeah, that certainly isn't sustainable.
1: Right. It's, a, it's the same concept of, you know, man can build a robot that can beat him in chess. He just can't build a robot that can ever enjoy the victory. Yes. Uh, what would happen if more parents would put more things in, in the form of a question with their kids rather than so many commands?
2: Well, I think one of the things that we need to learn how to do is to ask the right kinds of questions. We want to try to op- ask open-ended questions that encourage discussion as opposed to rhetorical questions. One of the things that I'm trying to learn how to do is to stop asking questions like, why did you do this and Mm -hmm. why didn't you do that? Uh, Those just tend to be kind of confrontational-type questions Mm -hmm. that cause my children and everybody to shut down, uh, as opposed to asking accusative-type questions or rhetorical questions, which are are often just kind of statements as opposed to really truly being questions. you know like why are you so lazy or why don't you work harder or you know why why don't you ever try or you know those are just kind of rhetorical questions um, you know, my favorite rhetorical question as a parent is, do you think I'm stupid? You never want to ask that. To <laughs> yeah, you, know, you don't, you don't, you you don't really, want the answer yeah, to that. Yeah, you don't want the answer
0: to that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I could see that you, you can also run the risk as a parent of sounding very cynical depending on how you ask yeah. questions of your kids. Too. Sure. So this, is a, this is a loaded question mm-hmm. in and of itself.
1: Well, I wrote down a few, like what would be wrong with saying, how long do you expect those clothes should stay on the floor? You know?
0: See, I, I could see that being
1: cynical. I well, don't know. it depends on how you say it, I yeah. guess. You know, or where do you suppose the yeah. money's coming from to keep your bedroom lights on when you're not home?
0: You know? Yeah, I, I don't know. These these may or may not be winners.
1: Well, here's okay. Here's here's one. Why is it important to stay sexually pure? I think that's a legitimate. That's a question. good question. Yeah. Or why yeah. why shouldn't teenagers do drugs? Why should you do your homework? Why should you honor your father and your mother? What's wrong with those questions?
0: Oh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of them. It's a matter of how you ask them, right? But Israel, you need to pull us back on track now.
2: Yeah, well, I think I think we need to learn how to develop the right questions. I don't do it perfectly. I certainly don't. I'm not the standard for this. But it's something I'm struggling with. It's something I'm wrestling with. And there are questions like, uh, so you know, in a perfect world, how do you envision this all working out? Uh, or you know, if you had it to do over again, what might you do differently? There's a lot of those kinds of questions that uh, I'm learning how to ask. And what they tend to do is they cause the person to think, but they also open up communication. And so I would encourage people to um, look into some resources. I I could recommend particular books, uh, but there are a lot of Christian books out there that just deal with the aspects of communication and learning how to utilize good communication skills and learning questions that open up conversation rather than just shutting them down.
0: Yeah, and by the way, Trace does ask a very good question, and I, I'm sure he knows I'm just jabbing at him for fun here. But uh, <laughs> Trace, you often will, even talking to the kids here, say, you know, what do you think the, the logical outcome of this decision is going to be? Right. And you challenge them to look forward based on the decisions that they're working through right now. Mm-hmm. What's going to come out of that? Right. And we try to bring them back to the, the logic of their own perspectives and
1: worldview uh for instance uh, a junior will say i should be able to do what i want to do when i want to do it you know and i said well what's the logical outworking of that what if, what if seven billion people on the planet decide they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it and the kids will come to their own conclusions and they'll tell you okay they're honest uh, chaos uh, war death destruction and uh then i have to tell them or ask them uh, okay here's my worldview i to love my neighbors myself and do unto others as, as I have them do unto me. What's the logical outworking of seven billion people on the planet thinking that way? Well, peace and harmony and, you know, the whole nine yards. So they come to their own conclusions. And I think that uh, uh, we as parents uh, would be wise to, uh, to ask our kids, you know, more questions like that. We call it pushing the antithesis. And uh, yes. it seems to work out pretty well. Uh, w- why do parents too often overlook considering bringing all their parenting dilemmas back to God and His Word? It seems like we we get directed in, in uh, and I know you're an author, and, and uh, I'm trying to be one, and there's several you know, very credible uh, authors and books out there on parenting, but it seems like we, we, we go everywhere else but God's Word sometimes. Uh, what do we got to do to get get God back in the equation in some of these things.
2: Well, I'm going to say one answer to that is that some people are so ignorant of the Scripture that they don't believe that it speaks to issues besides personal salvation. Mm-hmm. I actually talked to somebody not long ago who said, well, the Bible doesn't really say anything about parenting. <laughs> <And of> course, <laughs> oh, know, boy. I, had, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I I apologize for laughing. I mean, I or didn't sin. Mean to, but it's just like... Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, part of this is that, you know, in writing my book, I mean, I literally read every verse in the Bible, that had anything to do with parenting or child training or family or whatever, and there's just scads and scads of them, hmm. and uh, it just occurred to me that our culture is so biblically illiterate, what we've been taught is that the whole Bible is about Jesus wants to save, you know, your personal yeah. little heart and take you to heaven, and that's all it's about, and yeah. uh, I, I think that's one reason. There probably are many others just you know, again, maybe feeling like, well, it's an ancient book, and what could it tell me about postmodern parenting in the 21st century, uh, where we think it's an antiquated answer. But I think those are two possible suggestions, is that people just think it doesn't address it, or they think it'll address it in an antiquated, irrelevant way. Like,
1: like postmodernism's a new, a new thing.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I tell you what, we're going we're gonna to pause on that thought right now because we need to take a break. The program you're listening to is Licensed to Parent. Our uh, guest today is Israel Wayne, author of the book, The Questions God Asks. Trace Embry is our host. I'm Rich Rosl. We'll be back with more conversation right after this. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today but there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month, Christ-centered, non-profit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherds Hill Academy.
2: It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherds Hill Ministries and Licensed to Parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way I cannot gainsay how important this is. And to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society.
0: Get the help you need at Shepherds Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org. Helpmytroubledteen.org. It's difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're face-to-face with a teenager who argues with you at every turn. Maybe you and your teen can't talk to one another about anything without it getting complicated. For nearly two decades, Shepherds Hill Academy has been bringing healing to teens and families from around the world. Up until now, that help has come through its residential treatment facility in North Georgia. But now your family can benefit from that experience at home through Shepherds Hill Family Coaching, designed to help you discern God's will for your family, build good communication skills, deal with defiant children, and more. Our family coaching team will work with you by phone in your home, at work, even while you're on the road to help your family develop a game plan to succeed. Sign up for Shepherds Hill Family Coaching today by visiting LicensedToParent.org. Live the family life your family was designed for. Click on the Family Coaching banner at LicensedToParent.org. talking about how to parent through questions, but more specifically, the questions God asks us. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent with Trey Embry. I'm Rich and Again, our guest today is Israel Wayne, author of the book, The Questions God Asks. In Israel, I know that a lot of Christians think that uh, we really should be focusing on the New Testament. And in fact, many Christians ignore the Old Testament altogether. You disagree with that approach, though, don't you?
2: Well, obviously, the entire... 66 books of the Bible is the Word of God, and I think we do have a fallacy within modern evangelicalism that, you know, only one-third of the Bible is the Word of God, and we can ignore two-thirds of it, and uh, that simply isn't true. If you really want to understand God and who He is, what He is like, and all of His attributes in its fullness, you have to study the complete counsel of God, and that includes uh, the Old Testament as well.
0: And a lot of the questions that you ask uh, in your book do originate in the Old Testament, don't they?
2: Yes, they do. And in fact, um, the predominant scope of questions that are asked uh, by God are in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm working on a sequel to the book right now that's the New Testament, and it's called Questions Jesus Asks. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus asked uh, just uh, some killer questions. And one of the things that I am amazed by Jesus uh, and the way he responds to people is that he hardly ever answered a question someone asked him directly. He would almost always inevitably answer their question with another question. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just a lot we can learn from the methodology of Jesus and how he engaged people and asked people questions.
1: Why is it that this book is a must read for both parents and their kids?
2: This book, I think, really helps us to think deeply, and it's one of the things that we tend to avoid within our psychology, you know, postmodern culture, is we tend to avoid really thinking deeply about issues. And um, Socrates, you know, who certainly wasn't a Christian, but he said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And uh, he might have overstated it just a little, but I think there's some truth in that sentiment that we really need to think deeply about life. We need to test ourselves, examine ourselves, as the Apostle Paul said, And so this is uh, a great opportunity to dig deeply. And, you know, one of the questions that God asked uh, Eli in the Old Testament was he asked him, why do you honor your sons more than me? And I study that whole issue of parenting in that chapter called, why do you honor your sons more than me?
1: And that's going on a lot today, isn't it? Yeah. Basically making uh, idols out of our kids.
2: Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is what Eli did. And I think he... Uh, loves his kids, quote-unquote, so much that he wouldn't discipline them, he wouldn't correct them, he right. wouldn't uh, chasten them. And yet the Scripture tells us that if someone doesn't discipline their children, then he hates his child. Right. And not, not that he loves them too much, he actually hates them. And in a way, it's like he's planning the destruction of his child by refusing to be the parent, to stand up and to take responsibility. And so here's this godly man, Eli, who loves God, but God says, you know what, you love your sons more than you love me. You honor them more than you honor me. And I noticed this trend throughout the scripture from Eli to Samuel to David to Solomon. You had these guys who were godly people who loved God, but their sons ended up going into rebellion. And I think there's kind of two reasons for that. In some ways, it's that aspect of loving their sons, quote-unquote, more than they loved God and, and not disciplining sure. them and not being the parent. But secondly, uh, any vice that you allow in your own personal life that is not forsaken and repented uh, for that vice or that sin uh, will grow in the life of your child as well, if, unless you're going to be a hypocrite like Solomon. You know, Mm. Solomon taught all the right things, but his example of his life was that he lived as a hedonist, and he loves pleasure, and he loved money and all that, and Rehoboam just ended up being his dad times 10 Mm. in the negative aspects. And so I think two things. I think integrity is vital, and I think also being willing to do whatever God calls us to do and to be obedient to Him, uh, even when it means we have to put Him above our desire for our children's comfort and affluence and so forth.
1: Well, I think there's an argument to be made that there's uh, an element of self-love in there, uh, cloaked as a love for their children, uh, where where they're afraid to um, uh, disappoint their kids because uh, they don't want to... having their kids disapprove of them. It's a peacekeeping effort rather than a peacemaking effort. No doubt. Uh, A lot of times, I see. Um, As a guy with eight kids, uh, if this was your last 30 seconds to counsel parents on how to raise their kids with the greatest hope of them growing up uh, to be God-fearing, Bible-believing children and adults, what would you
0: tell them? And by the way, this is about your last 30 seconds on the program today, so not to put any pressure on
2: it. <laughs> I think parenting ultimately is the balancing act between love and discipline. Mm-hmm. Learning how to be loving and affirming and encouraging To be a cheerleader, to be a coach, but at the same point having firm rules, firm boundaries, firm consequences when those boundaries are crossed, uh, consistent follow-through every single time with implementation of the consequences to those broken boundaries. And it's just that finesse balance of trying to keep love and discipline uh, in the right order.
1: Yeah. That's security. That's that's security right there. Yeah.
0: Israel, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a great conversation and uh we need to get you and your Wife and your eight kids out to Shepherds Hill sometime. Got a bunch of horses. They'd love it.
2: We're going to do it. Trust me, we'll do it at some point. Excellent.
0: Our guest today has been Israel Wayne, the author of the books Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview, Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship, and the one that we discussed today, The Questions God Asks. You'll find Israel Wayne online at www.familyrenewal.org. And you can find us online as well at LicensedToParent.org. There you will also learn more about Shepherds Hill Academy and the Licensed to Parent radio outreach. In addition to finding archives of past programs and our one-minute daily feature on parenting, you can also sign up for Trace's e-newsletter entitled Insight for Today's Culture. Each week, you'll receive great articles, plus some links to videos and other interviews that we've produced to help you renew your mind and reset your worldview. That address once again is LicensedToParent.org. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you back again next week to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children,
1: somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.